Chapter Twelve of The Mysteries of Paris, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Minter. The Mysteries of Paris by Eugène Sue, Volume One. Chapter Twelve: The Rendezvous. The day after he had confided the Goualeuse to the care of Madame Georges, Rudolph, still dressed as a mechanic, was at noon precisely at the door of a cabaret with the sign of the Panier Fleury, not far from the barrier of Bercy. The evening before, at ten o'clock, the Chourineur was punctual to the appointment which Rudolph had fixed with him. The result of this narrative will inform our readers of the particulars of the meeting. It was twelve o'clock, and the rain fell in torrents. The Seine, swollen by perpetual falls of rain, had risen very high, and overflowed a part of the quay. Rudolph looked from time to time with a gesture of impatience towards the barrier, and at last observed a man and a woman who were coming towards him under the shelter of an umbrella, and whom he recognised as the chouette and the schoolmaster. These two individuals were completely metamorphosed. The ruffian had laid aside his ragged garments and his air of brutal ferocity. He wore a long frock coat of green cloth and a round hat, while his shirt and cravat were remarkable for their whiteness. But for the hideousness of his features, and the fierce glance of his eyes, always restless and suspicious, this fellow might have been taken, by his quiet and steady step, for an honest citizen. The chouette was also in her Sunday costume, wearing a large shawl of fine wool with a large pattern, and held in her hand a capacious basket. The rain having ceased for the moment, Rudolph, overcoming a sensation of disgust, went to meet the frightful pair. For the slang of the tapis franc, the schoolmaster now substituted a style almost polished, and which betokened a cultivated mind, in strange contrast with his real character and crimes. When Rudolph approached, the brigand made him a polite bow, and the chouette curtsied respectfully. "'Sir, your humble servant,' said the schoolmaster, I am delighted to pay my respects to you, delighted, or rather, to renew our acquaintance, for the night before last you paid me two blows of the fist, which were enough to have felled a rhinoceros. But not a word of that now, it was a joke on your part, I am sure, merely done in jest. Let us not say another word about it, for serious business brings us now together. I saw the Chourineur yesterday at about eleven o'clock at the tapis franc and appointed to meet him here to-day, in case he chose to join us, uh, to be our fellow-labourer, but it seems that he most decidedly refuses. You then accept the proposal? Your name, sir, if you be so good? Uh, Rudolph. Uh, Monsieur Rudolph, uh, we will go into the Panier Fleury. Neither myself nor Madame has breakfasted, and we will talk over our little matters while we are taking a crust. Most willingly. We can talk as we go on. You and the Chourineur certainly do owe some satisfaction to my wife and myself. You have caused us to lose more than two thousand francs. Chouette had a meeting near Saint-Ouen with the tall gentleman in mourning, who came to ask for you at the tapis franc. He offered us two thousand francs to do something to you. The Chourineur has told me all about this. Uh, but Finette, said the fellow, "'Go and select a room at the Panier Fleury, and order breakfast, some cutlets, a piece of veal, a salad, and a couple of bottles of main de bone, the best quality.' 
and we will join you there. The Chouette, who had not taken her eye off Rudolph for a moment, went off after exchanging looks with the schoolmaster, who then said, I say, Monsieur Rudolph, that the Chourineur had edified me on the subject of the two thousand francs. What do you mean by edified you? You are right. The language is a little too refined for you. I would say that the Chourineur nearly told me all that the tall gentleman in mourning with his two thousand francs required. Good. And not so good, young man, for the Chourineur, having yesterday morning met the Chouette near Saint-Ouen, did not leave her for one moment, and the tall gentleman in mourning came up, so that he could not approach and converse with her. You, then, ought to put us in the way of regaining our two thousand francs. Nothing easier, but let us hark back. I had proposed a glorious job to the Chourineur, which he at first accepted, but afterwards refused to go on with. He always had very peculiar ideas. But while he refused, he observed to me. He made you observe. Oh, diable, you're very grand with your grammar. It is my profession as a schoolmaster. He made me then observe that if he would not go on this lay, he did not desire to discourage any other person, and that you would willingly lend a hand in the affair. May I, without impertinence, ask why you appointed a meeting with the Chourineur at Saint-Juan yesterday, which gave him the advantage of meeting the Chouette? He was too much puzzled at my question to give me a clear answer. Rudolph bit his lip imperceptibly, then replied, shrugging his shoulders, Very likely, for I only told him half my plan, you must know, not knowing if he had made up his mind. Though that was very proper. The more so, as I had two strings to my bow. You are a careful man. You met the Chourineur, then, at Saint-Juan, for... Rudolph, after a moment's hesitation, had the good luck to think of a story which would account for the want of address which the Chourineur had displayed, and said, Why, this is it. The attempt I propose is a famous one, because the person in question is in the country. All my fear was that he should return to Paris. To make sure, I went to Pierrefitte, where his country house is situated, and there I learned that he would not be back again until the day after tomorrow. Well, uh, but to return to my question, uh, why did you appoint to meet the Chourineur at Saint-Juan? Why, you are not as bright as I took you for. How far is it from Pierrefitte to Saint-Juan? About a league. And from Saint-Juan to Paris? As much. Well, if I had not found any one at Pierrefitte, that is, if there had been an empty house there, why, there also would have been a good job, not so good as in Paris, but still worth having. I went back to the Chourineur, who was waiting for me at Saint-Juan. We should have returned then to Pierrefitte, by a cross path which I know, and I understand. If, on the contrary, the job was to be done in Paris, we should have gained the barrière de l'Etoile, by the road off the revolt, and thence to the Allée des Verves, is but a step that is plain enough. At Saint-Juan you were well placed for either operation, that was clear, and now I understand why the Chourineur was at Saint-Juan. So the house in the Allée des Verves will be uninhabited until the day after to-morrow. Uninhabited, except the porter. I see. And it is a profitable job? Sixty thousand francs in gold in the proprietor's cabinet. 
"'And you know all the ways?' "'Perfectly.' "'Say that uh, here we are, not a word before the vulgar. "'I do not know if you feel as I do, "'but the morning air has given me an appetite.' "'The Chouette was awaiting them at the door. "'This way, this way,' she said. "'I have ordered our breakfast.' Rudolph wished the brigand to pass in first for certain reasons, but the schoolmaster insisted on showing so much politeness that Rudolph entered before him. Before he sat down, the schoolmaster tapped lightly against each of the divisions of the wainscot, that he might ascertain their thickness and power of transmitting sounds. "'We need not be afraid to speak out,' said he. "'The division is not thin.' "'We shall have our breakfast soon, and shall not be disturbed in our conversation.' A waiter brought in the breakfast, and before he shut the door, Rudolph saw the charcoal man, Murphy, seated with great composure at a table in a room close at hand. The room in which the scene took place that we are describing was long and narrow, lighted by one window which looked into the street, and was opposite the door. The Chouette turned her back to this window, whilst the schoolmaster was at one side of the table, and Rudolph on the other. When the servant left the room, the brigand got up, took his plate, and seated himself beside Rudolph, and between him and the door. "'We can talk better, and need not talk so loud.' "'And then you can prevent me from going out,' replied Rudolph calmly. The schoolmaster gave a nod in the affirmative and then, half drawing out of the pocket of his frock-coat a stiletto, round and as thick as a goose's quill, with a handle of wood which disappeared in the grasp of his hairy fingers, said, "'You see that?' "'I do.' "'Advice to amateurs.' And bringing his shaggy brows together, by a frown which made his wide and flat forehead closely resemble a tiger's, he made a significant gesture. "'And you may believe me,' added the chouette, "'I have made the tool sharp.' Rudolph, with perfect coolness, put his hand under his blouse, and took out a double-barrelled pistol, which he showed to the schoolmaster, and then put into his pocket. "'All right. And now we understand each other. But do not misunderstand me. I am only alluding to an impossibility. If they try to arrest me, and you have laid any trap for me, "'I will make cold meat of you.' And he gave a fierce look at Rudolph. "'And I will spring upon him and help you, Fourline,' cried the Chouette. Rudolph made no reply, but shrugged his shoulders, and, pouring out a glass of wine, tossed it off. His coolness deceived the schoolmaster. "'They only put you on your guard.' "'Well, then, put up your larding-pin into your pocket. You have no chicken to lard now.' "'I'm an old cock, and know my game as well as most,' said Rudolph. "'But to our business.' "'Yes, let us talk of business. But do not speak against my larding-pin. It makes no noise, and does not disturb anybody.' "'And does its work as it should be, doesn't it, Fourline?' added the old beldam. "'By the way,' said Rudolph to the Chouette, "'do you really know the Goualeuse's parents?' "'No man has in his pocket two letters about it, but she shall never see them. "'A little slut! I'd rather tear her eyes out with my own hands. "'Oh, when I meet her again at the tapis franc, won't I pay her off?' "'Nah, that will do, Finette. We have other things to talk of, and so leave off your gossip.' "'May we pet her before the mot?' asked Rudolph. 
most decidedly she's true as steel and is worth her weight in gold to watch for us to get information or impressions of keys to conceal stolen goods or sell them nothing comes amiss to her she is a first-rate manager good finette added the robber extending his hand to the horrid hag you can have no idea of the services she has done me take off your shawl finette or you'll be cold when you go out put it on the chair with your basket the chouette took off her shawl in spite of his presence of mind and the command which he had over himself rudolph could not quite conceal his surprise when he saw suspended by a ring of silver from a thin chain of metal which hung round the old creature's neck a small saint esprit in lapis lazuli precisely resembling that which the son of madame georges had round his neck when he was carried off at this discovery a sudden idea flashed across the mind of rudolph according to the chourineur's statement the schoolmaster had escaped from the bagne six months ago and had since defied all search after him by disfiguring himself as he had now and six months ago the husband of madame georges had disappeared from the bagne rudolph surmised that very possibly the schoolmaster was the husband of that unhappy lady if this were so he knew the fate of the son she lamented he possessed too some papers relative to the birth of the Gouleurs. rudolph had then fresh motives for persevering in his projects and fortunately his absence of mind was not observed by the schoolmaster who was busy helping the chouette. <laughs> Marbleau! What a pretty chain you have! said Rudolph to the one-eyed woman. Pretty and not dear, answered the old creature, laughing. It is only a sham till my man can afford to give me a real one. That will depend on this gentleman, Finette. If our job comes off well, why then? It is astonishing how well it is imitated, continued Rudolph. "'And what is that little blue thing at the end?' "'It is a present from my man, which I shall wear until he gives me a ticker. Isn't it, Fourline?' Rudolph's suspicions were thus half confirmed, and he waited with anxiety for the reply of the schoolmaster, who said, "'You must take care of that, notwithstanding the ticker, Finette. It is a talisman, and brings good luck.' "'A talisman?' said Rudolph, in a careless tone. "'Do you believe in talismans?' "'And where the devil did you pick it up? "'Give me the address of the shop.' "'They do not make them now. "'The shop is shut up. "'As you see it, that bit of jewellery has a very great antiquity. Three generations. "'I value it highly, for it is a family room,' added he, with a hideous grin. "'And that is why I gave it to Finette, "'that she might have good fortune in the enterprises in which she so skilfully seconds me. Only see her at work, only see her, if we get into business together. Why, but let us now to our affair in hand. You say that in the Allée des Verbes, at number 17, there is a house inhabited by a rich man, whose name is— I will not be guilty of the indiscretion of asking his name— you say there are sixty thousand francs in gold in the cabinet. Sixty thousand francs in gold! exclaimed the chouette. Rudolph nodded his head in the affirmative. And you know this house and the people in it? said the schoolmaster. 
"'Quite well. Is the entry difficult? "'A wall seven feet high on the side of the Allée des Verves, "'a garden, windows down to the ground, "'and the house has only the ground floor throughout. "'And there is only the porter to guard this treasure?' "'Yes.' "'And what, young man, is your proposed plan of proceeding?' "'Simple enough. To climb over the wall, pick the lock of the door, or force open a shutter or lock. What do you think of it?' "'I cannot answer you before I have examined it all myself, that is, by the aid of my wife. But if all you tell me is as you say, I think it would be the thing to do it at once, this evening.' And the ruffian looked earnestly at Rudolph. "'This evening? Impossible!' replied he why since the occupier does not return until the day after to-morrow yes but i i cannot this evening really well and i i cannot to-morrow why not for the reason that prevents you this evening said the robber in a tone of mockery after a moment's reflection rudolph replied well then this evening be it where shall we meet "'We will not separate,' said the schoolmaster. "'Why not? Why should we? "'What is the use of separating? "'The weather has cleared up, and we will go and walk about "'and give a look at the Allée des Verves. "'You will see how my woman will work. "'When that is done, we will return and pay a hand at piquet "'and have a bit of something in a place in the Champs-Élysées "'that I know, near the river.' "'And as the Allée des Verves is deserted at an early hour, "'we will walk that way about ten o'clock. "'I will join you at nine o'clock. "'Do you or do you not wish that we should do this job together?' "'I do wish it.' "'Well, then, we do not separate before evening, or else?' "'Or else?' "'I shall think that you are making a plant for me, "'and that's the reason you wish to part company now.' "'If I wish to set the traps after you, "'what is to prevent my doing so this evening?' "'Why, everything. "'You did not expect that I should propose the affair to you so soon, "'and if you do not leave us, you cannot put anybody up to it.' "'You mistrust me, then?' "'Most extremely. "'But as what you propose may be quite true and honest, "'and the half of the sixty thousand francs is worth a risk, "'I am willing to try for it. "'But this evening, or never?' "'If never, I shall have my suspicions of you confirmed, "'and one day or other I shall take care "'and let you dine off a dish of my cooking. "'And I will return the compliment. Rely on it.' "'Oh, this is stuff and nonsense,' said the Chouette. "'I think before the to-night or never.' "'Rudolph was in a state of extreme anxiety. "'If he allowed this opportunity to escape "'of laying hands on the schoolmaster, "'he might never again light on him.' The ruffian would ever afterwards be on his guard, or, if recognised, apprehended, and taken back to the bagne, would carry with him that secret which Rudolph had so much interest in discovering. Confiding in his address and courage, and trusting to chance, he said to the schoolmaster, "'Agreed, then, and we will not part company before evening.' "'Then I am your man. It is now two o'clock. It is some distance from here to the Allée des Verves.' "'It is raining again in torrents. Let us pay the reckoning and take a coach.' "'If we have a coach, I should like first to smoke a cigar.' "'Why not?' said the schoolmaster. "'Finette does not mind the smell of tobacco.' "'Well, then, I'll go and fetch some cigars,' said Rudolph, rising. 
Oh, pray don't give yourself that trouble, said the schoolmaster, stopping him. Finette will go. Rudolph resumed his seat. The schoolmaster had penetrated his design. The chouette went out. What a clever manager I have, haven't I? said the ruffian. Then so tractable. She would throw herself in the fire for me. Apropos of fire, it is not over warm here, replied Rudolph, placing both his hands under his blouse, and then, continuing his conversation with the schoolmaster, he took out a lead pencil and a morsel of paper which he had in his waistcoat pocket, without being detected, and wrote some words hastily, taking care to make his letters wide apart, so that they might be more legible, for he wrote under his blouse, and without seeing what he wrote. This note escaped the penetration of the schoolmaster. The next thing was to enable it to reach its address. Rudolph rose, and went listlessly towards the window, and began to hum a tune between his teeth, accompanying himself on the window-glasses. The schoolmaster came up to the window, and said to Rudolph, "'What tune are you playing?' "'I am playing Tu n'auras pas ma "'And a very pretty tune it is. "'I should like to know if it would have the effect "'of making any of the passers-by turn round.' "'I had no such intention. "'You are wrong, young man, "'for you are playing the tambourine "'on that pane of glass with all your might.' "'But I was thinking, a porter of this house in the Allée des Verbes is perhaps a stout fellow. "'If he resists, you have only your pistol, which is a noisy weapon, while a tool like this—' "'And he showed Rudolph the handle of his poniard. "'Makes no noise, and does not disturb anybody.' "'Do you mean, then, to assassinate him?' exclaimed Rudolph. "'If you have any such intention, then let us give up the job altogether.' I will have no hand in it, so don't rely on me. But if he wakes, we will take to our heels. Well, just as you like, only it is better to come to a clear understanding beforehand. So then, ours is simply a mere robbery with forcible entry. Nothing more. That's very silly and contemptible, but so be it. And as I will not leave you for a second, thought Rudolph, I will prevent you from shedding blood. End of chapter 12